Welcome, friends, to this brand new edition of A Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry with Pastor Brad Abley. We're delighted that you've joined us today, and we've already been praying for you, that you would meet the Lord in a fresh, new way. We've also been praying that you would be changed and transformed into the image of Jesus by the power of His Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, let's resume our Know Your Faith series as we go through the entire Gospel of Luke, patiently, slowly, and verse by verse. Here's Pastor Brad. Well, very warm greetings to you, my dear friends. This is Pastor Brad Abley with the Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry, a ministry that is designed to take you deeper into the Word of God and to stir within all of us a greater heart after God. Well, we are in part, this is today's message is part 46 of our wonderful series called the Know Your Faith series. And my friends, I just think that is just a very uh, appropriate title uh, for the series because what could be more important for the believer in Jesus Christ or those who are investigating becoming a Christian than to know the faith that was once and for all handed down to all of us. And it comes directly from God. It comes from God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. And it is it affects and changes everything presently and eternally as well. So today's message is will come from Luke chapter 7. And we're going to look at verses 18 through 23. And the title of this message is A Sober Lesson to Learn and to Live By. A Sober Lesson to Learn and to Live By. Luke chapter 7 and verses 18 through 23. Well, let's pray before we get into the Word, before we open up the Word, and uh, let's look to the Holy Spirit, who is our master teacher. Well, Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we pray now that you, Holy Spirit, would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears to see and hear and receive all that you have for us, and not to miss a thing. We need you, Holy Spirit. And let the result of this time, glorify the Father and the Son. Let it deepen your church. Let it result in the salvation of many. Let it result in, as you give me time to pray at the end of the message, let it result in much prayer being answered. More than anything, may it be that the Father and the Son be glorified today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. A sober lesson to learn and to live by. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 18. Well, the disciples of John reported to him, that is John the Baptist, about all these things uh, that Jesus was doing. Now, he's referring immediately Oh, he's referring in a broad context to all that Jesus has done, of course, but immediately he certainly is referring to 
uh, the centurion slave who was on the verge of death, and Jesus healed him. And he is, uh, that's in Luke chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 10. And then he is referring to verses 11 through 17, where there was a dead man that Jesus raised. And um, so, so the disciples of John had were familiar with all these things, and they're letting John know about what's happening. Well, John the Baptist was put in prison, and this we can read about that uh, in Luke chapter three. He was preaching uh, about the immorality of Herod, and uh, for that Herod had him thrown in prison. But I think John expected Jesus to deliver him from prison by now, and it didn't happen. And so you're going to see that John was was confused, was uh, perhaps frustrated, and, and it even got to the point where he was doubting whether Jesus was the Messiah or not. So again, in verse 18, the disciples of John reported to him, again, him is John the Baptist, about all these things. Verse 19, summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one? This is just a different, it's kind of a Jewish title, one of many titles for the Messiah. Are you the expected one or the coming one, or do we look for someone else? That means that John, even though he had his doubts about Jesus, certainly knew Jesus to be honest, and he expected Jesus to give him an honest answer one way or another. Well, uh, verse 20, when the men came to him, that is to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or the coming one, or do we look for someone else? Verse 21, at that very time, that very hour, literally, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered, verse 27, and said to them, that is John's disciples, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, that is the paralyzed, or those that have never been able to walk, are walking. The lepers are cleansed. Now, leprosy back in those days was a death sentence. If you had leprosy, there was no cure, and you died a torturous, slow, agonizing death, and no one that was well would ever touch a leper. And yet Jesus did, and he didn't get leprosy. As a matter of fact, he cured the lepers again and again and again. And then he goes on and he says, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. That word poor can mean uh, spiritual beggars, that is the humble, and it certainly can mean economically poor. But then he says in verse 23, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is to be supremely happy, to be fulfilled, 
but the word take offense is the Greek word skandalizomai, and in English, that is where we get the word scandal from. It's a serious word. It can mean to take the bait and to fall into sin, or it can mean to give up someone's faith. That is, it, mean, it can mean to turn away. It can mean to desert, to reject. Uh, it can also mean to have doubts about. And this is where John was at. He had doubts about Jesus. And Jesus is saying to him, blessed is the one who does not have doubts about me. But my friends, the sober lesson for us to learn and to live by is that if we, it's one thing to have doubts in our Christian faith, but it's another thing not to deal with those doubts and not to turn those doubts into trust. Because if we don't, then the devil can pick us apart. And it is vital that we settle the reality, the truth that Jesus is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. He is faithful. He is perfect. He never fails. He never makes mistakes whatsoever. And so in these verses that we just read, we find something extremely important from the Word of God about wrong expectations. And I'm going to explain that as we move through this message. Uh, and a wrong understanding of Scripture, which leads to wrong expectations in and from us to God. John was expecting something different. What was it that he was expecting? Well, the common messianic expectation among the Jews at the time is that in the first coming of the Messiah, he would overcome the Roman government, he would conquer the Roman government, and that Israel would then be the leading nations nation among all the nations. And the coming of the Messiah would bring in uh, a present and eternal peace, no more wars, and, and all these things. And so John, the, the Jews expected, even Jesus' own disciples expected that. What they did not understand from Scripture, and Jesus is teaching them, is that his first coming was to redeem men from sin. That is, through his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus would conquer the enemy of sin, not the enemy of Rome. Because it does no good to bring in the kingdom if men are not repentant and if men are still in their sins. And that is what the that's the primary message that Jesus had is repent for the kingdom of God has arrived. And if you don't repent, then on the day of judgment you have no ability to get to heaven. There's no forgiveness for your sins. Well, because this didn't happen, because Jesus had not destroyed the Roman government. And because there were many that were following him, but not everybody was following him. And it and it troubled John because he didn't understand the plan of God at that time. 
And because he didn't understand it, he began to doubt whether Jesus was the Messiah. So what did Jesus do? Jesus turns to the word of God as his sole authority, his sole credibility for him being the Messiah. And establishing that, then he warned John, be careful. Be careful not to be offended by me because you, you, your, I'm not meeting your expectations. You were expecting me to do this, and you didn't realize that I came to do this instead. Now, my friends, it is so important for us, and that's why I'm titling this message again, A Sober Lesson to Learn and to Live By. It is so important for us to understand this lesson that John the Baptist had uh, to learn. It is vital for us. Why? Well, because throughout our lives, and I can tell you this from personal experience, throughout our lives, we are going to have hundreds, if not thousands of opportunities to take offense at God for one reason or another. He didn't heal my loved one, and my loved one died. He didn't heal me, and I continue to struggle with physical uh, afflictions. I was expecting him to provide this, and it didn't come through. I was expecting him to give me a promotion at work. It didn't come through. And what we end up doing is we are we're susceptible to the accuser, that is to the devil, who will then say to us, if God really loves you, then why? Why has he not answered your prayer? Why has he allowed this to happen? And to John, no doubt the devil was saying, if Jesus is really the Messiah and he has all power, why has he allowed you to stay in prison? Why has he not let you out of prison? Because he had not. And that would have been yet another reason that John was doubting Jesus and coming close to being offended by him. And so, my friends, there again, there are hundreds. It's different for every believer, but there can be hundreds or thousands of opportunities for us to take offense at God for one reason or another. And we cannot and we must not do this. Remember, instead, we are to walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And listen, when we do that, we find that we're blessed. And that's what Jesus wants. Remember again, in Luke 7, 23, he said, Blessed is he who do, does not take offense at me. On the one hand, there is a promise. On the other hand, there is a warning. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Again, my friends, I want to emphasize, our Lord Jesus Christ is sinless. He is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. He makes no mistakes. He is utterly perfect. He is utterly trustworthy. Let's just stop and pray right now. Lord Jesus, we cry out to you. When we're tempted to question you or doubt you, or when we're tempted uh, to become offended by you, 
Help us to stop and yield to you by faith and say, Lord, I don't understand this. It didn't go my way, but I choose by faith to trust you, period, and I'm not going to be led by my emotions. I'm not going to be led by circumstances because you are the only truly faithful one in existence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. One, one commentator that I, I turn to often uh, for the Gospel of Luke, his name is Daryl Bach. He writes this. He explains this. He, to further understand why John asked the question that he asked, are you the coming one or should we expect someone else? John, he writes, John's question is also significant because it follows immediately the crowd's recognition that Jesus is a great prophet. Well, that happened. We read about that in Luke chapter 7 and verse 16 when Jesus healed the dead man in the city of Nain. Uh, Luke tells us, fear gripped them all and they began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. Well, no question, Jesus was a prophet, but he was and is a whole lot more than a prophet. He is God the Son. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. Now, when John the Baptist asked Jesus if he is the one to come, the question implies an inadequacy of the popular perception of Jesus. And Bach writes, popular perceptions are often wrong. And in the case of Jesus, they are also short of the mark. Now, there's, there's yet more to this matter that I think we must, we really need to carefully consider and apply to our own lives. Again, why did John ask this question? Well, I've already mentioned first, John was in prison according to Matthew 11 too. And again, he, he expected that Jesus would get him out of prison, that Jesus would destroy the Roman government and take over the Jewish religion as the Messiah. And yet, though he was such a righteous man, Jesus left John in prison. Now think about this, my friends. That had to have been confusing to John. Again, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, John was aware that Jesus didn't have the kind of large following that John would have expected of the Messiah. And many didn't believe in him, and the religious leaders rejected him. Listen, on a different note, we should recall that even Jesus' own disciples after his resurrection still expected the kingdom to come in its fullness politically, militarily, economically, and spiritually. They said, Lord, is it at this time? that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel. And what did Jesus say? It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall be 
my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's only, my friends, when Jesus returns to this world in power and in glory that he will bring in the kingdom of God in its fullness. So what we find here is John being discouraged, right? Well, again, there's so much for us to listen. I'm sorry, there's so much for us to learn and to apply in this situation because we also go through those times of doubt and difficulty. And that's why, again, I'm titling this message, A Sober Lesson to Learn and to Live By. I quoted Daryl Bach a little bit earlier. He writes this, Even the best of God's servants need reassurance from time to time. That's so true. Warren Wiersbe, another uh, commentator that I, I love and benefit greatly, he points out that it isn't unusual for great spiritual leaders and giants to have their days of doubt and uncertainty. Moses was ready to quit on one occasion in Numbers 11. Elijah was ready to quit, 1 Kings 19. Jeremiah wanted to quit, Jeremiah chapter 20. And Paul was often knew the meaning of despair. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But Warren Wiersbe also writes this. He says, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt, he writes, is a matter of the mind. We can't understand what God is doing or why he's doing it sometimes. But unbelief is a matter of the will. We refuse to believe God's word and obey what he tells us to do. Oswald Chambers, who wrote the devotional called My Utmost for His Highest, writes this, Doubt is not always a sign that, that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he's thinking. But you see, my friends, we don't want to stay in doubt. We, we acknowledge the doubt, but we go to the Lord to move from doubt to faith, to move from questioning to trust. Now, Wiersbe goes on and he says, in John's case, his question was not born of willful unbelief, but of doubt that came about because of physical and emotional strain. You and I can look back at the ministry of Jesus and we can understand what he was doing, but you see, John didn't have that advantage. John announced judgment, but Jesus was doing deeds of love and mercy. And so John was perplexed about God's plan and his own place in it. But Wiersbe ends this comment by saying, let's not judge him harshly for even the prophets were perplexed about some of the things that they themselves wrote about. And the reference there is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. You see, my friends, there's so much for us to learn. There's so much for us to learn. This is, this passage is indeed a sober lesson to learn 
and to live by. And so when none of these things happened that John was expecting, naturally he be began to question whether Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus says to him, and what Jesus is doing is he quotes the Old Testament, pro Old Testament prophecies about what the Messiah would do when he came. What does he say? The blind receive sight. That's right out of Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. No one ever had done that before him, while he was ministering, or since then. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 29, 18 through 19. In other words, what Jesus is saying, there's also Isaiah 42, 6 through 7. What Jesus is saying is that everything that was prophesied of the coming of the Messiah, he has fulfilled. That is why people could know that he was and is the true Messiah. And also, this was not the time for judgment. For God so loved the world that he gave his only unique son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world be saved through him. Now, in referring to the promises of Scripture about the Messiah for his own credibility, that points to us the deep, absolute authority that Jesus had and recognized for the Holy Word of God. And my friends, that is the kind of reverence that we must have for the Word of God as well. That is the lesson that we must learn. Well, I want to give an opportunity for anybody that is listening to this broadcast right now to receive the Savior of the world, His life, His cleansing blood, and the eternal life that He offers to you and to me. And it's only a prayer away. And it's simple, but you have to mean it in your heart. I'm going to pray right now with you, but I want you to pray with me and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. These words, Lord Jesus Christ, pray with me, Lord Jesus Christ, I surrender my life to you. I need you, Lord Jesus. Cleanse me of my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a brand new person. And I will live for you and I will serve you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you have heard my prayer. And thank you, Jesus, that you have now given me eternal life. Father, now I pray for them, bless them, keep them, protect them from the evil one all the days of their lives. And for those who are already saved, well, for the whole audience, I'm asking, Lord Jesus, that you would confirm the preaching of the word with signs and wonders following, that you now, through this message, would do 
Continue to do what you've already been doing. Lord, give the blind sight. Cause those that can't walk to to be raised up and walk. Let let anybody with, with sickness and disease be healed. Those who are bound up by demons, uh, liberated and set free. Those who are deaf, let them hear. Raise the dead. Glorify your name, Lord Jesus, because nothing is impossible with you. Provide financially, naturally, and supernaturally. Reconcile marriages. Reconcile people who are at odds with each other. And we give you the glory. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Brad, for this outstanding message and time of ministry. Friends, Pastor Brad and his wife Maureen need a prayer team. Would you kindly consider praying for them on a daily basis? Thank you for your partnership. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please tell others about it. If you would like to partner with him financially, please go to his website at bradably.com. You can also check out his two devotionals and his commentaries on Amazon.com. Until next time, we pray that our Lord stir you daily to have a greater heart after him in every way.